Hey, hello, hi, welcome to and or back to the Jet Real Podcast. I am your host, Jill Treese, and this week's episode is going to be an interesting one, I think, um, and it might upset some people. <laughs> um, this week's episode, if you can't tell by the title, is Debunking Dominance Theory and the idea that you have to be the alpha or the lead mare or the, um, I don't know, the dominant one in your relationship with your horse. I'm here to tell you that ain't true. Science don't support it. And if you want to know why, keep on listening. Just thought I'd spice things up with the old intro. I thought it it just felt fitting today. You know, it, it just felt like the right one. Okay. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I've started a Patreon and you can support me and the horses. I am linking my Patreon directly to my savings account so that I may save it so that I will one day be able to actually pay for myself like a real adult and pay for my horses so that I can move out of Arkansas. That is my end goal. And I would like to be able to afford my horses because I can't move until I do that because I love them and I like them to be here. So that is the conundrum that I am in. And if you want to or and or are able to, please support us on Patreon. I offer live monthly Q&As, training advice. You can ask me questions that I'll answer here on the podcast or privately on a phone call. Um, lots of different options there, so be sure to check that out. And without further ado, let's get into this bad boy. Now, first, I'm going to do a small disclaimer that... Um, I think this episode will probably annoy me to the end of time because it is not organized up to my standard, but when are my episodes ever really? Every time I upload one, I'm like, God, I feel like I forgot to say so much, but I listen to it back and I'm like, okay, it's not that bad, but I, I try not to listen to them back because I will obsess and create a problem for myself. <laughs> but um, anyway, this one is, it's just, it's really hard to want to tackle this <laughs> huge topic. One of you guys on Patreon asked me to discuss dominance theory and um, in respect to horses. And I'm smushing a bug with my finger. Got it. No more bug. <laughs> um, anyway, 
Um, so I want to talk about it. And I wanted to do this one as sort of a deep dive, starting with like the history, where it came from, what um, the definitions are, and um, the science that supports it. And uh, this will be my first time doing an episode like this, so go easy on me. But I do want to say that every single thing that I use to um, do this episode will be linked. All of my references and resources will be linked in the description of this episode. So if you want more information or want to fact check me or argue, you go right ahead and look at those articles and um, let me know what you think. So... Um, I'm going to try and adhere to them pretty closely because, um, you know, I just, I'll, I'll probably spruce, spruce, um, spice it. Spice is spicy. If you don't have TikTok, that doesn't make any sense and probably just scared you. I'm so sorry. Um, it's a meme. It's okay. Um, anyway, so I just wanted to spice, or I will spice it up with my opinion and my thoughts here and there, but, um, I kind of just want to, um, go top to bottom on research, you know? Um, so the first thing, uh, you know, little intro here is, have you ever been told by a trainer, a horse person or an authority figure on animals that you have to be the alpha, the, um, head mare, the lead mare, boss mare, the alpha, alpha horse, um, herd leader, all of the above. Um, you have to be dominant. You have to be the leader. And, um, Often those definitions um, come with a huge misconception around ethology of the horse and what their behaviors actually are, where they come from, and what they mean. So hopefully I'm going to cover that top to bottom in this episode in the best, most sensical way that I am capable of doing. (laughs) I have been sitting here for probably four or five hours trying to figure out how I wanted to organize this, and I just eventually gave up and was like, you know what? It's good enough. (laughs) It will never be perfect because I'm just so much better at writing because I can organize everything and recheck and recheck and recheck. But when I'm speaking, I screw it up the whole time. So um, I'm going to try. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. Okay. So bear with me and hang in there and hopefully we will get somewhere, um, that we all feel is (laughs) like some sort of sense being made question mark. Um, so yeah. So first of all, um, I think it's important to define what dominance means. So the literal definition of dominance is actually just power and influence over others. That's it. Um, so it's really not applicable to horses because, um, the science does not show that they, um, you know, hold power over others in a way that we think like, yeah, for instance, like a king or a queen, you, they have power over all of their subjects. They are at the top of the hierarchy. They are the supreme power and horses don't organize themselves and their herds like that. Um, it is a misconception and just, um, it's, it's just a misunderstanding of what's actually happening. And, um, I'll get into that a little bit later, but, um, so to start off <laughs> the concept of dominance is really not applicable. And, um, it's more nuanced with horses because with horses dominance, how we use it, um, being the, you know, more aggressive behaviors are 
temporary. They're not constantly exerting those behaviors or constantly like a king would put laws in place or mandates and have people that enforce those things for them. Horses aren't like that. They don't have subordinates or anything like that. They work off of a one-to-one relationship. So they only have relationships with each individual horse, not themselves to the entire herd if that makes sense. So they don't see themselves as number three out of 10. They see themselves as flexible horse to horse, but they tend to remember interactions where they may have been forced into a subordinate position. Um, And I'm not sure if that is super clear, but um, hopefully it will elucidate itself eventually, but um, to sort of re-explain that in layman's terms. I'm sorry, I've been like delving into science and reading multiple articles over this, all of which are linked below um, again. So essentially, horses just, it kind of undulates, it changes. So in a herd of 10 horses, one horse is not the supreme ruler of all. Um, That horse that presents as the supreme ruler of all the other horses is usually the one that is most desperate for whatever resource is um, scarce. So if you think of our concentrated feed schedules, um, horses normally get fed once in the morning and once in the evening. And, um, you know, the horse that um, has maybe had a history of not getting enough food or being run off or being hungry, um, or just having general anxiety around food. Hey, I'm talking, sir. <laughs> Cat wants to chime in. Um, so that horse in the future is going to be um, more anxious around food and more desperate and therefore li- more likely to display the aggressive behaviors that we label as dominant. Um, and it's more revolving around resources than um, as a whole because... Um, You know, you don't see that horse running around chasing everybody, keeping them in order and directing their movements in the field. Uh, It's more just localized around the resources like food, water, um, shelter, maybe access to a human that um, brings them good things or something. They'll run off the other horses, protect their resource. Um, So it's, it's a lot more nuanced than just being the simple ruler of all that dictates every motion of every other horse, um, which is how we tend to apply it. And even if that's not how we um, exactly view it uh, in the herd dynamics, that's how we apply it in training, that the leader is the one who dictates every step, every thought, every movement, every action, reaction of the horse. We have the supreme access to resources and we are the ones that initiate any sort of movement or anything like that. And, um, so you see if you, if when I was explaining the, um, the herd dynamic, you were like, that doesn't really sound like how horses behave. You know, they don't, there's not one horse that you know, rounds the herd up and moves them every single time or is in charge of when they move from grazing spot to grazing spot or, you know, they don't all have the same role, then you might be like, okay, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And then applying it to training doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. So using that justification is null and void. (laughs) It's a fallacy. Um, And I think that 
it came to be because it was an easy explanation and it offers shortcuts and a justification to um, do certain behaviors and training like join up and round pinning. And I'll get into that more in a bit. So yeah, so the convention... The conventional wisdom definition of dominance is being the leader, the one that gets to control what the horse does and where he goes. And it's also used to describe behavior that we don't like on the flip side, on the horse's side. So the first is the trainer. You know, we get to control where the horse goes, what he does, what he doesn't do, etc. But on the flip side, when we say a horse is being dominant, it's because he's doing something we don't like. Whether that's being aggressive, being pushy, biting, kicking, um, trying to change directions... Uh, all of those things are typically labeled as dominant, and that is just not supported by science. And um, I'll get in more, <laughs> I don't keep saying that, but I will get in more on why that label is harmful uh, in those situations. So dominance is not a personality trait like we like to make it. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's just, it's, it bothers me and it's like nails on a chalkboard to me when I go to a farm or I watch a training video and they're like, this horse is very dominant. But what they mean is this horse displays a lot of behaviors that I don't like, um, that the horse hasn't been taught how to behave around humans and therefore is pushy and dangerous and inconvenient <laughs> and uncomfortable to work with. That's what they mean. But um, what it actually means is a temporary relationship descriptor um, regarding resources. That's all it is. And so when applied to training, we get this misconstrued mess <laughs> that doesn't even uh, track logically. So uh, I kind of want to start off by talking about the pecking order. So this was a concept developed by a Norwegian biologist... Um, named Hold, <laughs> because I can't pronounce it, so I have to use uh, Siri. Listen, are you ready? Yep, do you get that? It's spelled S-C-H-J-E-L-D-E-R-U-P-E-B-B-E. Can't pronounce it. Anyway, this lady, she uh, was working with hens, like chickens, hens, and um, saw a pecking order among them, and uh, like one hen... Like, um, in Elise Muckensturm's video, uh, Fair Horsemanship on YouTube, uh, her video is called Dominance and Leadership in Horses Animated Series Episode 3. <laughs> and she, uh, uses cute little pictures to describe it, but I do not have that luxury as this is a podcast. But, uh, essentially in this biologist study with these hens, she, um, said that hen A pecks on hen B and C, but hen B only pecks on hen C, and C doesn't peck on anybody, gets, but gets pecked on by everybody. So I hope you follow that. A would be the dominant, uh, B would be slightly more subordinate, and C is the final subordinate. This uh, actually does not existent anywhere. <laughs> um, for some reason, that theory got applied to every species. And it is not even factual with dogs. So before you shoot me, um, there is a video also linked in the description that, because um, I, I don't want to repeat literally everything in the video because I think I paused um, and wrote down every sentence they said <laughs> in my notes. Um, but the video is called um, The Case Against Dominance Slash Pack Theory. 
And that video is incredible. It's a bunch of PhDs, a bunch of veterinarians, um, philosophers, ethic professionals, and uh, behaviorists all talking about the science and why dominance theory should not be used and how it doesn't make sense. And you guessed it, I will get into that more <laughs> in a bit. But first, I want to say that I think that the reason that this pecking order hierarchy theory got applied to every species is because of the confirmation bias, which is the psychological phenomenon of seeking out information that confirms your hypothesis. So if you go into a pasture of horses thinking that there's going to be an alpha horse, you're going to look for evidence that makes that true, that confirms what you believe. Um, and you're going to be more likely to ignore evidence that does not confirm what you believe. And there are specific ways to do studies um, that account for those confounding variables. But um, a lot of the initial research on horses and um, dominance theory as well and dogs um, had a lot of confirmation bias and um, purposefully observed agonistic or combative encounters between the animals and documented that instead of the vast majority of the behavior not demonstrating um, hierarchy. Um, so, in fact, most of these studies completely ignore the fact that there are animals in the middle. <laughs> they talk about the dominant one, the leader, and the low man on the totem pole, but they don't really talk about the horses in between. It's not really a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's more of a one and then the middle group and then the low man. And um, so <laughs> it doesn't really account for um, those middle ones. And I think that's because that evidence doesn't support the hierarchy claim because often horses share ranks. So there could be two quote-unquote dominant ones and seven in the middle um, and two more passive, you know, just non-confrontational, maybe more avoidant or frightful horses at the very bottom or younger ones uh, typically. So it, it just, eh. like there are studies that show that, um, you know, typically like in a wild herd, you would think that the stallion would be the protector of all, but often um, it's both the stallion and a mare that break up conflict or um, protect the herd. And um, sometimes it's uh, delegated to others and it's not <laughs> one or the other. Um, it's horses are more cohesive than hierarchies suggest. So it's, it's just ignoring the research to, um, to claim that this is the case because you're just only applying what what confirms what you already believe and um i think dr um james serple phd he's in that um dominance theory video i mentioned um he's a professor of ethics and animal welfare and um, i think he put it best by saying um we are much more impressed by charismatic media figures than we are by scientists who are very thoughtful and methodical uh, because it's boring. <laughs> so it's a lot easier to log on or, the oh God, how old am I? Open Animal Planet and watch Caesar Milan attack and hiss at and punch animals <laughs> and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Then sit down like I did for the past couple of hours and you know, pilfer through research and try and get an idea of what you actually believe in, that is a lot harder to do and requires more brain power, more studying and thinking outside the box because like in the dog world, though the dog world has switched to becoming more progressive, 
the horse world is ruled predominantly by ideas of force and punishment and dominance instead of um, how the horses usually actually interact, which is much more subtle, gentle, and peaceful. And uh, that's because of people like, say, Clinton Anderson, who yells at animals and chases them with plastic bags on the end of sticks and calls it bonding. So, I, I mean, you, you find the problem in that one. Anyway, in this video, they go on to talk about how um, Milan was quoted saying that women are the only species um, that are wired different from the rest. And a man tends to use discipline and then affection, so they're more psychological than emotional, which is a reflection of a a societal attitude. Um, And also, that's not true at all. Uh, Science does not support uh, the idea or the notion that men and women are inherently very differently wired. Our brains are actually quite the same, and there is not a whole lot of difference. Obviously, there's a difference in hormone levels and... um, like outward physical appearance and uh, appearance appearance <laughs> and um, genitalia, that sort of thing. Um, but the differences in the brain is actually quite nuanced, if I'm not totally mistaken here. Um, pretty sure I'm <laughs> right, though. Um, but if you have information that presents otherwise, feel free to send it to me. But dear God, do not send me that video of the pastor talking about <laughs> two different brains and how men's brains fit and neatly into boxes that don't touch each other and women's brains are squiggly lines and they're overly emotional and never logical is so irritating and not supported by science at all it's it's supported by um societal norms and that is where i think that we get um things like uh the idea that discipline um comes before affection and that if you don't discipline then um, you're being overly emotional and you're not being logical and uh, especially in the horse world I think um, riders and equestrians and trainers are under a lot of pressure not to appear too emotional or too empathetic uh, to the animal because how ridiculous that you would ever treat an animal like it has emotions despite science showing that they do in fact have emotions and um there are studies that have been done if i'm i it's this one i did not fact check but i'm pretty sure there's a study done uh that horses can recognize your facial expressions uh like i mean the obvious ones um not like micro expressions but the ones um you know like happiness and um anger and that sort of thing so um this reflection of the societal attitude is what i really want to hone in on that it's you you have to be more logical and it's I want to say too before I totally get off the brains thing um it's societal indoctrination we are the way we are as a result of what society tells us we are supposed to be um obviously not entirely but the reason that men and women are so different um you know is because of roles that we are assigned and we assign ourselves and men are usually taught in nuanced ways that they are not to be emotional and they're not to, um, you know, talk out loud about their feelings and things like that. And if they do, it's in very, um, you know, quiet, private circumstances. Whereas women, it's okay that you gossip and talk about your feelings and blah, 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 blah. So, that doesn't mean that men don't have emotions and feelings and that women aren't logical. It's just that we're socialized differently. And, 
it goes the same with horses. Just because it it is the way it is doesn't mean that, you know, the it's a one-to-one situation here. That men and women's brains must be different because we act differently outwardly does not mean that, you know, the brains are different. That doesn't make any sense. The brains are different because we act different. And then, but why do we act different? Because our brains are different. Circular reasoning, which I also have a comment about, um, about the horse training. Um, so... Um, on Adele Shaw's blog, uh, she's the willing um, she quoted Cindy Martin quoting Dr. Susan Friedman saying, why is this animal doing this unwanted behavior? Well, because he's being dominant. Well, how do you know he's being dominant? Well, because he's doing the behavior. Well, why is he doing the behavior? Because he's dominant. Well, how do you know he's dominant? Because he's doing the behavior. Do you, do you see the problem there? <laughs> okay, like, I'm going to read what Adele said because I think she puts it um, brilliantly. She said, labeling the horse dominant and in need of respect or needing to be taught uh, to be submissive doesn't offer us any training solutions to the behaviors we typically attribute to a dominant horse. Saying a horse bites or kicks or rears because he or she is dominant is a circular definition that doesn't solve anything. The circular definition is the one I just... <laughs> talked about before um you go round and round in circles and it doesn't offer any solutions doesn't help the horse and it doesn't actually explain the cause of the behaviors that you're not happy with what it does do is excuse the use of aggressive and forcible training methods which is the things like join up where you um, have to assert that you're the leader over the horse um and for some reason we came to the conclusion that the way to do that was to lock them in a circular arena and chase them until they stopped. (laughs) Like that doesn't exactly sound like, um, asserting dominance. That sounds like scaring the shit out of an animal until it does what you want. And, um, I'm going to throw it out there that respect is earned, not taken. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a situation where you've had an authority figure, perhaps a parent or a teacher or someone of that nature who was just awful to you, maybe a boss, an employer, um, just awful to you, always yelled at you to get you to do what they wanted. And you did what? You hated working for them. You hated doing what they asked because they were so rude and mean and forceful and, um, and scary. You didn't like that person when they were acting like that, right? Unless you've got some Stockholm syndrome going on. Um, Usually the case is that you did not enjoy that experience. So why on earth would we come to the conclusion that horses would love us, respect us, want to be with us, and um, see us as a leader if we did the same exact thing? That doesn't make any sense. It is the definition of a fallacy and cognitive dissonance it uh, (laughs) sometimes the horse world blows my mind and like if you haven't considered this before I want to let you know that that's okay you are not a horrible person if you have been thinking this up until this podcast um I did not know this until two years ago when I had a phone call with Adele um who I just read those quotes from and um she revolutionized my perspective and I was like whoa I'm so wrong huh (laughs) um and then I started researching and looking into the science and reading books and then I was like oh okay 
A, I understand why people don't do this because it's hard and I don't like it either. It's much easier to hire a trainer to tell you what to do. But the downside to that is you don't know anything outside of that person's opinion um, and what they know. And if they're wrong, you're screwed. So, um, yeah, that is that is that. But I do want to say that um, I'm not trying to shame anyone who still believes this or has thought this up until this podcast or had never considered it before. Again, I didn't ever consider it on my own. Somebody told me and I was like, oh, I get it. Um, so part of my frustration is also with myself for believing all of this mumbo jumbo up until now because it genuinely does not make sense. But I just never questioned it. Every time I was like, that doesn't really add up. I was like, okay. And I remember when I found Monty Roberts and Join Up. Um, there are still videos on my YouTube channel and you can go watch me yammer on about it and not know not have a clue what I'm talking about. And um, it's so frustrating. I haven't watched those videos in a long time and I really don't want to. Um, And it's also in Heartland. I don't know if you guys know that show. It's like a Canadian show about horse training and whatever. Um, It's a, uh, it's like a fictional TV show. Um, It's on Netflix, but um, they do join up a lot, but it's a magical horse world on television that doesn't make it real. And that's what initially drew me into it. And you can see on my first video where I talk about join up. Um, that's how I got into it was from Heartland. And, um, it's for some reason I was like, yes, this will make my horse love me. Um, as I'm chasing it around with a whip and if he doesn't go fast enough, hitting him with the whip on the hind end, making him run. And if he lowered his head, licked and chewed, put an ear on me, I would let the pressure off. And if the horse turned in and faced me, I would let it off completely. So do you know what that is the definition of? It's negative reinforcement. For those who don't know, negative reinforcement is defined as the removal of an aversive in order to increase the occurrence or frequency of a behavior. So if the horse is being chased around, scared, potentially uh, having pain inflicted upon it, um, and the horse starts offering a bunch of different behaviors such as licking and chewing or lowering their head, which are actually appeasement behaviors. Um, if you want to know more about those and calming signals, um, to, uh, which the horse uses to either calm the aggressor and show that they're not a threat and they, um, don't want any trouble (laughs) and also to try and calm themselves down. Um, you can read the book language signs and calming signals of horses. Uh, it's by Raquel Dreisma. It's on Amazon. You can get it easily. Um, but that book talks a lot about behaviors like that. It might touch on join up, but I'm not entirely sure if it does. It's been a minute since I've read it. But, um, so when the horse starts offering those behaviors and you stop chasing it, then you're reinforcing those behaviors. So it's not that the horse is, um, submitting to you and appeasing you. He's trying to be like, yo, calm down (laughs) and also trying to guess at what's going to make you stop chasing him. And then when you let off the pressure, he's like, oh, that's the answer. And so they keep doing more and more of those behaviors. And, um, the first couple of times I did join up, um, my horse didn't get to turn in to me, like turn his haunches away and face me and walk to me. Um, I don't know that I ever actually got a full walk up to me. Um, but, uh, those behaviors, the horse learns to do those over the period of when you're 
um, chasing them around. So each time you let off the pressure, the horse is gathering more and more information on what it is you want. It's not that he's submitting because you're an almighty uh, (laughs) trainer, horse, herd leader, whatever. It's because he's trying to figure out what will make you stop. And um, so that is just... It's mind-boggling that I ever bought into that and that so many people continue to buy into that. Um, And I want to talk a little bit more about that um, later because one of you guys asked me a question on Instagram about it um, because there was a study done with a race car that proved that it is not not scientifically sound. So, um, yeah, I want to continue here, um, make sure that I covered all of my bases. So continuing on with the... Case Against Dominance Theory video, uh, Lisa Rodesta, who is a um, doctor of veterinary medicine and a board-certified veterinary behaviorist, said that um, when she hears um, pet owners call their animals spiteful, that it is a cry for education. And at this point, I have to agree with her. That is kind of how I feel about it. Um, I recently signed up for an online course um, because this trainer that I've been watching for a while, I really thought, um, used predominantly positive reinforcement because that's what's in all of her videos. And all of the things that she shows on social media um, and on her website and everything, like this is her training. She uses positive reinforcement, educates people about it. I love it. And then so I signed up for her course and started it and over and over and over again, talking about dominant horses, dominance theory, how you have to be the leader, how you have to assert your authority. Um, and I just got so disheartened because I was like, oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 that's not true. It's just not true. It's not supported by science. And there is no evidence that uh, that supports that. I don't know why people continue to believe it. And it's possible that she was referring to behaviors that we label as dominant but a that's confusing and b she continued to discuss like how you have to be the leader and the dominant alpha horse whatever and i just ended up stopping the horse because i was like "Uh, no um but i do i i will say because um i think it's important to preface that i'm not saying that negative reinforcement never has a place i use it in my training And I'm not saying that horses get to walk all over you and that you never have to um, teach them how to not. So, but there's a way to do that. Using dominance theory and forcing a horse into its place by punishing it, wiggling a lead rope or chasing it around a round pin are not the only ways to teach a horse how you would like it to behave. You can do that through positive reinforcement. Um, you can do it through quiet, soft, non-escalating negative reinforcement. You can also do it through negative reinforcement and punishment. Um, but since you can do it with all of the methods, why not choose the one that the horse enjoys the most? It's positive reinforcement. That, in fact, is supported by science. It does not cause fear, anxiety, or stress in the horse, whereas negative reinforcement does tend to have a potential to do that. Um, Like I said, I use it in my training. Try not to incorporate the (laughs) negative side effects of it. Um, So um, I I do want to put that out there that I'm not saying that you just have to let the horses run all over you. Um, But there is a middle ground. Not everything is black and white. You don't have to be totally passive or totally dominant. So that is what... I will say about that. Um, So also on the topic of 
um, dogs and a little bit of the history of where all this came from is that Alpha is a breeding shorthand. It was not meant to be the um, top dog, so to speak. Um, so they also discuss in this video that um, hierarchies do exist, but it's not dominant in the way that we think. It's more like the horses, where it's kind of like an all interpersonal relationship. Hey, stop. Cat is clawing my couch. No, I let you keep your claws. Don't be like that. <laughs> He's like, but I, but I like it. Um, also, if you're wondering, that was an example of punishment. Apologize, but that's my couch. Um, and I have not taken it upon myself to train him to do otherwise because I don't know how. Um, so if you have any ideas, shoot me a message. Um, anyway, so the other thing that goes with all of this is that it's often laughable, as I mentioned earlier, it's often laughable that you would consider an animal's emotions. Like, why is that hysterical? Every time I have a farrier or a vet and I talk about, you know, my horse being nervous or anxious or worried, they all roll their eyes and go, oh my God, typical woman. <laughs> and like, I'm not like feminacy or whatever people call it, but I like, I don't appreciate having eyes rolled at me and being scoffed at for caring about my animal's emotions because of my gender like okay you go right ahead with that logic because it don't make no sense <laughs> um it's actually supported by science <laughs> that animals do have emotions you can look up any of panskip's um research i know connection training talks about it a lot they have some videos on it um also the research is out there if you um have access to that but um the idea that you would consider an animal's emotions when you're training it is absolutely hysterical. You get laughed at, you get your eyes, people rolling their eyes. I remember when I first started um, doing positive reinforcement training, when, um, you know, people would tell me like, oh, the horse is probably anxious. I was like, oh my God, geez, like the horse can get over it. It's fine. But like, mm, okay, cool. But what a cold attitude to have about an animal you claim to, you know, move heaven and earth for. Um, I would not do that to a human child, another fellow human, a cat, you know, I don't just tell my animals, get over it, you're, you're fine, you know, continue dealing with the amount of stress and anxiety that you're experiencing, and, um, it's just not kind to be like that, and, um, I think that there are obviously circumstances where the barn is burning down and the horse must get on the trailer or it will die. And sometimes you have to be rough or you have to force the horse. Um, but those are emergency situations. That's not training. There is a difference. And I've talked about this multiple times on this podcast that um, I, I just don't agree um, with the idea when you're like, well, but in this circumstance, when the barn is burning down and my horse has broken its leg, I've got to do I'm like, yes, of course, save yourself, save the horse, be safe, keep everybody okay. But in training, when you're preparing for situations like that, that might happen, you don't have to beat the animal. You don't have to stress it out. You don't have to say that it's being ridiculous for being afraid. Instead, you should probably just be like, oh my God, He's afraid. What can I do to help make this less scary for him? The answer is not whipping the horse and making it continue on. The answer is 
helping the horse understand that it's not scary by creating perhaps a positive association with it or perhaps leaving altogether um, and trying another day when maybe it's not so scary or um, getting off the horse and coming back another day and only changing one variable at a time, setting the horse up for success in a comfortable environment and then introduce maybe the flapping scary tarp um, that was at the end of the arena one day. You know, like set the horse up for success. Don't just expect it all to come together and um, then be frustrated when the horse is like, whoa, I don't know about this. And then just be like, oh my God, you're being so ridiculous, even though I didn't prepare you for the situation at all. Like, eh, it's just, it's not compassionate. And I don't think it's good training. And again, mostly harping on myself here. It's so frustrating that I did that for so long to my horses that I was like proclaiming from the rooftops that I loved so much and that I would never do anything to harm them yet my entire training paradigm was harming them and some and you know like I mean not everybody trained the same way that I did growing up but it was very very rough on the animals and had little regard for you know their feelings and thoughts about the situations I'd take a drink sorry my mouth is very dry um so yeah and you know in this video they're talking about um one of the behaviorists was talking about how often when she would come into a home with a problem animal um the owners would feel super guilty about how they'd been treating them after she told them about the actual science behind it you know because i mean a lot of people they watch tv programs like with caesar milan and dog trainers of that genre and then they beat their animals like in this video um there's this lady that's talking about her 80 pound pit bull and she's like you know sometimes i gotta throw him up against a wall show him who's boss like you you do though do you do you really have to do that there's no other way to train the animal that is your only option i think the fuck not um but that's just me i think that maybe we can use our frontal lobe to come up with something else you know um, and the reality is like when people say things like, well, that's how horses do it to each other. That's what dogs do to each other. A, only in very, very specific circumstances. And B, you're not a dog. You're not a horse. You, it doesn't read the same way. <laughs> um, and also what an insult to your own intelligence that, um, you know, you're like, oh, well, dogs do it to each other, so the only logical option is to act like a dog instead of acting like a human that can perhaps offer an alternative solution because you have this nice big frontal lobe on the front of your noggin that has executive functioning, I would assume, and reasoning and ability to plan and think ahead and perhaps consider <laughs> your actions. Um, and, I mean, I, again... I'm just so disappointed in myself, too, because I was, like, so into all that, and especially the join-up. Oh, my God. So bad. Um, so, yeah, I think um, the biggest thing is that um, dominance theory has this underlying tone that animals are predestined. They come out of the womb, enter the world, striving to usurp our authority. They want to be number one, that they're trying to achieve a higher rank, and that is where dominance theory starts to have problems because it justifies abuse often. 
and um, you know the horse comes into your space and he's about to step on you and you elbow him in the face and you're like get out of my space horse and that's how you continue to teach him every time the horse you know comes into your space you elbow him um, a clearly it's not working the horse keeps coming into your space I've worked with many a horse like that and have done many a thing like that and it does not work I mean I'm sure it will for some horses if you scare them badly enough but um and some horses are more sensitive than others so maybe it only takes one happening but some horses just continue to do it um if they've had a history of that being reinforcing um you know coming on top of you but um it a doesn't work it makes the horse resent you and um want to avoid you and also the way that i would want to train my horse to walk a safe distance from me is not by making it so uncomfortable to be near me i would want to reinforce being away from me by rewarding with treats the relief of pressure or the absence of beating is not a reward I want to throw that out there. I do not agree with saying that the release of pressure is a reward. It's not. It's a release. There's a difference. Like, for instance, if you were at work and your boss comes up to you and he says, I need you to get this paper done by the end of the day or you're fired. So you get the paper done and the boss says, congrats, you get to keep your job. Does that feel like a reward to you? I think not. It feels like a relief that you don't have to worry about losing your job anymore. But on the flip side, if your boss came up to you and said, hey, would you mind finishing this paper today? If you do, I'll give you a raise. Arguably bribery, but also you, whatever, you get the point, semantics. Um, So that's positive reinforcement. And that's how I prefer to train in most, if not all circumstances, um, because it, it's, it has a different effect. And I think that example, you, you probably probably get that. Um, so again, when you see animals that are engaging, um, in, you know, conflict settling, it's normally more peaceful and nuanced like horses. They turn their heads away or they lower their heads or they lick and chew or they, um, give the other one space. You know, there, there are so many more subtle behaviors that happen, um, but it's all communication. I mean, it's like getting on an elevator with a bunch of people. I'm so sorry. I'm just coming in hot with all the metaphors today. Um, but if you get on an elevator with people and, um, you know, you need to press the button, that's your resource per se, um, other people move out of your way. And it's not because you're being aggressive or you're forcing them to, but you need to get to that, um, that button. And, um, maybe these people in this elevator are very anxious with talking to other people. So when you need to go to the button, they're perhaps um, anticipating that if you can't, then you're going to speak to them. So weird circumstance, but I'm trying to (laughs) draw the parallel between horses that perhaps anticipate, um, you know, some aggression, like at feed time, Um, you know, one horse is trying to get to the bucket. And if the other moves, uh, then they don't face the consequences of ear pinning and that sort of thing. And then they just all communicate like that. And they understand, um, you know, in certain circumstances that, um, there's a give and take, but that doesn't mean that the horse that, uh, displaced the other one and had primary access to the resource is going to be dominant in all circumstances. In that specific circumstance, you could potentially say that horse is being dominant, 
um, but in only that he has primary access to the resources and displaced another horse. But it's not a personality trait. There's a difference. Um, so there's that. Oh my God, we're 45 minutes in already and I'm not even halfway done. <laughs> I told you guys this was going to be a deep dive. So, um, I might have to actually break it up because I can only go, I think like two and a half hours or two hours, but we'll see. I might be done un in under two hours, but um, if not, then I'll have to break it up a little bit. So to recap, the reasons for what we often call dominance is um, the desire, motivation, need um, for a resource and that intensity. If one horse needs to get into the shelter because um, he's getting sunburnt and there are other horses in there, but he really needs in that shelter, he's more likely to be more aggressive and attempt to... Um, quote-unquote, assert his dominance and or displace the other horses so he has access to that resource. Um, an alternative reason is scarcity. So in that scenario, there's not enough space for him in there, so one horse is going to have to go. Um, same thing happens with feed time, especially with horses who have been deprived of food in the past um, or eat closely and everybody gets a little bit grumpy or they only get fed a few times a day and... Um, Therefore, it's really salient, and then they really want the food, and um, so they protect it, and they don't want anybody coming near it or taking it away from them. And that also comes from a history of having had that happen before, um, usually, or having it uh, modeled to them. And um, so <sighs> there are some myths that we're going to get into, um, and it all starts because all of this the dominance theory and being the leader and the herd mare, head mare, whatever, um, is because it's marketed as being natural horsemanship. It um, has ideas that come from the desire to control and force over science and fact. And that is what is frustrating about all of this. Um, because I can feel some hairs raising and some anger brewing, but that it should make you angry that our industry and the way we train and work with animals is primarily founded on conventional wisdom. You know, what the ancestors told us was true. Well, the ancestors didn't have near the access to the science and the education that we have. I mean, hell, 10 years ago, we thought the world was going to end. <laughs> it did not, though 2020 is trying really hard to end. Um, but I mean, there's so many things we didn't know. We didn't know, um, you know, about mental illness. We thought people were witches. So there are endless things that it's okay to change and adapt with new information. It doesn't make you stupid. It doesn't mean that you were the worst person in the world or you were abusive. It just means that you didn't know. And when you know better, you can do better. So this is where I come with, um, some frustration with um, natural horsemanship tendencies where you're round pinning or you're shaking a lead rope and playing arbitrary games. And it's frustrating because it doesn't have any scientific basis. It's predominantly negative reinforcement, which is the science, but most of the people that do it couldn't tell you what negative reinforcement is. And that's not an insult to their intelligence. It's just that's the method that they've been taught and they've learned and developed. And it's not based in science. It's based on anecdote and um, conventional wisdom that has been passed down and taught over and over again. And 
like a lot of conventional wisdom includes like um, you have to be the dominant one over the horse. If you hand feed horses, they will bite you. Don't walk behind the horse or they'll kick. All of those things are way oversimplified and in most cases, not true. Actually, all three of those things in most cases are not true. I walk behind horses all the time. If you scare them or provoke them, then you will likely get kicked. Um, or if you uh, don't teach the horse how to behave around treats, they will probably bite you. And also, you just absolutely don't have to be the leader or the dominant one. Um, you could be the leader in terms of you're the one that's directing training and you're asking the horse to do things, but not in the sense that the horse must do everything you say or else. Um, so, um, yeah, and I mean, that again... I, I can feel the hairs bristling. I don't want to offend anybody who trains that way. Um, and if you don't train that way and you use negative reinforcement or traditional methods and you don't train that way, brilliant. That's what we want. <laughs> we want more um, the traditional world to move away from so much aggression and, frankly, abuse and move into, um, you know, more science-based, fact-based training and if it irritates you because it's something you're doing and maybe it might be time to consider why you're doing that <laughs> uh, because I would say the science supports it the authorities in the field that study and research this for a living and write textbooks on it for the equestrian science classes um, agree that it's a problem and it's something that I think we can evolve from. And I think that's okay. And I don't think it's any, anything to get up in arms about. Um, and if you are just extremely upset and you want to keep doing what you're doing, carry on, stop listening, <laughs> or you can keep listening and maybe it'll plant a seed and maybe you'll change your mind later. Or you can just hate listen. I don't know. What do, what do people do these days? <laughs> do they hate listen to podcasts? I feel like that's a lot of effort. Um, okay. So I want to talk about some misconceptions that um, Fair Horsemanship discussed in their video, uh, The Dominance and Leadership in Horses Animated Series, Episode 3. Um, so she discussed how um, the, the misconception that horses are organized linearly, as I discussed earlier, where there is a horse at the top, number one, and then there's two, three, four, all the way down to the bottom, number seven or whatever. This is um, a myth because... Um, linear hierarchies are not typically seen in domesticated or free-ranging horses. It is a man-made idea that came from chickens that uh, then went to dogs and then went to horses, and we just decided that that's fact. It has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> um, so it's they just they don't have a pecking order. It's not a thing. A, they're not chickens, so therefore they don't peck. And B, um, it's. It's more bilateral, which means one-to-one -one relationship. They have individual relationships and understandings with individual horses. And I want to be clear, I'm not implying that in those relationships they are dominant over one or the other, but it's all kind of like, just imagine a bunch of horses in a field. Like you're, you're looking down on them from the sky and an aerial view, like your bird, and they're all connecting in zigzags. Each horse has a connection to each and every different horse. Eventually, it's going to look like a rubber band ball because you can't see the horses anymore. There are so many lines. That's what it's like. Not like linear. <laughs> there's one horse over here. That's the dominant one. And then there's Billy, who's under him. And then Johnny, who's less, you know, assertive. And then there's 
Exxon? Is that a gas station? Exxon. That's okay. We're moving on from this topic. <laughs> um, so the next myth is that um, the lead mare in a wild herd of horses, the lead mare is the one who decides when um, we move or when we eat and when we stop and all of those good things. And um, that's actually not true. Um, studies have shown that any horse in the herd can actually initiate movement. And um, it's really just whoever is most motivated to move. Like maybe they're just really not finding the grass they want. And um, they sort of signal to everyone else. And it's sort of like a collective decision, at least by some horses, enough to uh, suggest a change. They um, sort of signal that they're ready to go to everyone else. And then they eventually all get up and go. Um, But the reason is also this um, confirmation bias that... um, the mayor, the lead mayor, is often the one who um, controls movement, but that is likely due to the confounding variable that um, when a mare is pregnant, she is lactating and therefore needs more water and more food, and uh, so she's going to be more motivated to move. It doesn't have anything to do with her gender or her status among everyone in the herd. It has everything to do with her motivation to satiate her hunger and thirst. So those are the few myths that um, Elise touched on in her video. And um, I kind of want to uh, move on into um, some of the other studies. But first, I want to um, read something that Callie King has on her website. I have the full article linked below. Um, she said that I accepted this theory for a long time, or obviously referring to dominant theory. Um, but the more I learned about equine behavior and the more I started to look at horse training from a science based approach, looking for what is really true and not just what has been taught, the entire theory of dominance and leadership among horses was called into question for me. In a training context, dominance theory implies that an animal's misbehavior is the result of the animal striving for a higher rank or looking to assert their dominance over the trainer or handler. Also, it is believed that a person must create submission in an animal to prevent and control behavior problems. And I, me, Jill, jumping in here, um, I, I completely agree, 110%. I think that it is easier to use a blanket definition um, and say that when horses do things that we don't like, then we say they're being dominant, and that offers the solution of asserting your dominance over them, I guess, <laughs> um, or at least it offers that option or justifies that option, um, and then you shortcut, and then you get onto the horse or you correct them or in some cases abuse them and it's it's just kind of a weird (laughs) way to get there like say you have um I don't know you've just gotten a new horse and um all his life he has been um handled and he just he's just rude he just by your definition he walks all over you he pulls you around. He won't stand in the cross ties. Um, he goes to bite you when you, uh, try to put a saddle on him. He won't stand at the mounting block and your trainer says your horse is being dominant. You need to assert your authority, your dominance over him and regain control of the situation. Because as Callie said, um, it's to prevent and control behavior problems. So you want it to stop happening and you want it to not happen again. So you punish the horse and you tell it it's wrong and that, um, 
it's it's just acting out of line. The problem that I have with this solution, um, let's take the mounting block uh, problem for example, is you lead the horse up to the mounting block and he steps away and your trainer says he's he doesn't want you to ride him because he's being dominant. You need to assert your dominance and get on him. So what that does is that like gives you the green light to be forceful. And especially if you have your trainer standing there staring at you, waiting on you to do something and fix it now, um, you're not going to be very nice to the horse (laughs) in most cases. Um, And also, you are ignoring the entire question, why is the horse stepping away from the mounting block? I mean, you might have the answer, I guess, if you live in that paradigm that the horse is being dominant, so he's moving away. Um, But if especially in situations where it it happens a lot. Um, What doesn't make sense to me is why people keep saying the horse is being dominant. Clearly you asserting your authority and getting on him is not making the horse view you as a dominant, Um, you know, (laughs) like it's not working. Uh, So why does the horse continue to move away from the mounting block, despite knowing that he's going to get hit with the whip or his face jerked on, why does he continue to do it despite? Is he just stupid? Is he a slow learner? What is the issue? It's probably due to what I always say is fear, misunderstanding, or pain. And mounting block is usually pain or prediction of an unpleasant ride. Um, You know, maybe you... um, oh, I don't know, maybe you are a jumper rider and the horse has a sore ankle and every time you get on him, you jump him and it makes his ankle hurt. So he doesn't want you to get on and continue to do that. So um, it just, it just ignores so many possible solutions that, um, because if you, if you do lead the horse up to the mounting block and he sidesteps and you go, oh no, what's wrong? You call the vet, have the vet look at him and the vet says, oh, his ankle's sore. And then you have not only not hit your horse, you have not ripped his teeth out, you have not harmed your relationship, you have not, you know, become the dominant one, and it's a much less stressful situation for everyone, and you're listening to your horse, he's telling you, I don't want you to ride me. Maybe we should figure out why, not just saying he's dominant and then doing it anyway, because you, it's, it's just a way to ignore what the horse is trying to tell you and just be, just be ignorant, just completely turn that side of your brain off. And, um, also I think that, um, on, (laughs) in the same vein of turning off a part of your brain, um, dominance theory, I think fits very well with cognitive dissonance for me. And I've talked about this a lot in the more recent episodes lately, but cognitive dissonance is essentially believing two incongruent ideas at the same time. So two things that are opposite. You cannot simultaneously believe the sky is blue and the sky is purple. It doesn't work. So you have to justify it somehow. And uh, in order to reduce that dissonance because it's uncomfortable and it's stress-inducing. So in the horse world, say in this circumstance of the mounting block, you love your horse. You want to spend every waking moment of this horse. You have an Instagram where you post lovely pictures about him and you brag about how awesome he is and what a kind heart he has and how much you just would do anything for this horse. And then when you lead him to the mounting block and he sidesteps, you beat him with the whip, you send him in a circle, make him move his feet, teach him a lesson. And um, when he takes a step forward at the mounting block, you rip his teeth out, um, you back him up, 
do, do those two things go together? They don't. So there's only one option here. You must reduce the cognitive dissonance. You cannot simultaneously abuse and beat your animal and love it. So, you know, it happens in the case of people too, people that are abusive. Um, a lot of people justify it by saying it's for their own good. And we do that with horses too. You know, I'm beating the horse for his own good because he has to learn how to be mounted on. And, uh, okay, <laughs> like, why though? Um, but, or that um, I can't ride if I don't. Um, and that's really, really the underlying issue there is you want to ride. And it is a lot easier to force the horse and get on anyway and take your chances of getting bucked off or causing the horse more pain rather than holding off and waiting and um, seeing if you can figure out, you know, maybe a physical or a training error. Um, so it's just a lot easier to, um, to reduce the dissonance that way because if like you can't you have to pick one you either love your horse or you beat your horse you cannot love and beat your horse at the same time so um you have two options that i see at the moment uh one is that you beat the horse and you don't love him or your alternative is that you love the horse but you are beating him because it's okay it doesn't hurt um he's learning um i he's being dominant he's being bad um those are all justifications for why you're doing what you're doing, but it's ignoring science. <laughs> and, um, I just don't, it's, it's frustrating. I mean, I get it because sometimes it takes longer to resolve the problem that the horse is actually having rather than just write it off. I mean, take Zoe and kissing spine, for example, I just thought she was hot for years. I thought she was being bad and anxious and spicy and never once did I say maybe something is wrong. I mean, we, I don't know. I had a vet tell me once that, um, maybe she had ovarian cysts and I was like, okay. And that was it. And then she colicked and almost died. And then I was like, maybe I should take a harder look at why those things happen. <laughs> and, um, then she has kissing spine. That is why she was so tight in her back all those years. It's because I ignored her and I thought I had to assert my dominance over her, control her. And I mean, I was hardly ever like super harsh with Zoe um, because she is such a sensitive horse. Um, so it was very difficult <laughs> to um, be hyper aggressive with her because with her shouting at her was punishment enough, you know, um, you getting loud and directing all that angry, aggressive energy at her. She was like, whoa, what's your issue? Um, because she's sensitive, but for some horses, it, that just doesn't matter and you have to escalate a lot quicker. Um, but anyway, all that to say that it is a lot easier to shortcut with, um, you know, getting the solution now, um, and get on the horse you know, that is the answer rather than maybe something is wrong and maybe the horse is not lying or trying to get out of work, um, for no reason. Um, so Anyway, moving on to uh, Meadow Family Rescue's quote. I think it ties well into what I just talked about. Um, they say, aggressive horses are not being dominant over you. By nature, horses are not aggressive. Oh, wait. <laughs> they say horses. Oh, my God. Okay. Starting over. Meadow Family Rescue says uh, in the myth category of aggressive horses are being dominant over you. That's a, an often um, conventional wisdom. 
Um, so they respond by saying, by nature, horses are not an aggressive species. Aggression risks injury to themselves and their herd, which puts them at a disadvantage when a predator approaches. So think about that. If a horse, if horses are violent and aggressive animals in a herd setting where they're constantly picking on each other and beating each other up and harming each other, that's not, that herd isn't going to last very long because a predator is going to pick off all the ones that are, um, getting beaten up and eventually there aren't going to be any more horses because they're all fighting with each other. So that's doesn't, that's not conducive to species survival. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but that leads me into, um, some research done by, um, the International Society of Equitation Science. Um, Paul McGreevy is a huge proponent of this and, um, I, I read a few other studies, but his um, statement on dominance theory really encapsulates all of them. (laughs) And every article, scientific journal I found is mentioned in, um, in this. It's, um, oh my God, where is it? It says positions, or it's called position statement on the use slash misuse of leadership and dominance concepts in horse training. Um, And it's on the international science or equitation science website um so yeah i just i was like well let's stick with that one so i'll have a few others linked in the description down below but this one is um really good and concise um so um let us see here firstly um they discuss that um hierarchies are a man-made concept that should not be the basis for horse-human interactions so um again like i said earlier the dominance theory and um, hierarchies being alpha is not a horse concept. They did not say, hey, this is these are the rules by which we live and exist. Um, though we have those because of science and studies, but we continue to ignore them and go with this man-made one because we get to do things that are otherwise not justified. Um, so... Um, you know, it continues, it gives more studies on a lot of stuff I've already covered that there are individual relationships, um, and the studies on equine cognition suggest that it's highly unlikely that horses have a concept of rank, including all members. So, you know, as much as we love to, um, give our horses a lot of credit on how intelligent they are, um, research that has been done on their ability to think and conceptualize uh, demonstrates that they likely don't have the capacity to, um, you know, identify I'm number 72 in the herd. Um, So um, science does not support that horses think like that. It is not in their, their rules that they handed to us. We made that up. Um, There's no evidence on specific individuals being, um, you know, the proponents of change in the environment. The older residents uh, may know resources better. So, you know, if you bring a new horse into a paddock with seven older horses, those ones might be the ones that lead the new horse to the water or to the feed because they know the place better. They're initiating that movement um, and going to the resources because they know, not because they are the dominant ones. Um, So just basing the horse-human relationship on dominance is detrimental to the relationship, um, 
with you and your horse um, because it relies so heavily on eliciting fear and abuse in order to um, satisfy that identity of being alpha. Because what happens often is because if you use this in a very passive, quiet, gentle way, like, um, you know, that might be comparable to how horses actually do it um, by subtle body changes. But the thing is, when you are trying to you know, assert your authority as alpha, if the horse doesn't respond to the subtle ones, you have to get louder and you have to yell and you have to shake the lead rope or the stick and make the horse do something to satisfy your identity. Something has to happen. Um, the horse has to change something that makes you think that now you're the alpha. And which is interesting because we have never really defined that. There are all of these arbitrary things like licking and chewing, um, which has been proven to just mean that the horse is coming down into the parasympathetic nervous system, that their digestion has kicked back in because you have stopped scaring them so badly. <laughs> um, but it doesn't, I mean, outside of chewing, obviously, like when they actually have food in their mouths, oh my God, don't come for me. Um, but it's, it's, it's harmful to the relationship. As I discussed earlier, like when you have an authority figure, whether a parent, employer, teacher, that is really, really hard on you and is always being aggressive to get you to do what they want, you're not going to want to be around them. And it hurts the relationship because you start avoiding them. And horses' primary mode of um, conflict resolution is avoidance. They don't want to be there anymore. They're predators, primarily flight animals, not fight. So if you're doing something that's scaring them or potentially harmful to them, they're probably going to want to avoid you and not come near you because that's what keeps happening. So um, it really harms your relationship, especially if you're trying to... Um, you know, have a horse that wants to hang out with you or comes up to you in the paddock. And beyond all that, um, if you're sitting there thinking that you live on a horse farm or you work with a bunch of horses and you see them and you see horses fighting frequently. Um, so with younger horses, obviously it's more like play, but older horses, if you see them always pinning their ears and chasing off the others and um, just out in regular grazing, that is usually due to um, resource competition. So in domestic environments, um, <clears throat> sorry, choking. Um, in domestic envi environments, they don't have as much access to space and food and water, and therefore they're more cramped, closer together and have to compete more. They're forced to. So you see a lot more of those aggressive, quote-unquote, aggressive behaviors. Um, but usually they are more threat than physical aggression. Most of the time, if you see a horse trying to displace or compete, um, displace another or compete for something else, um, they'll raise a foot and then put it down. Or they'll swish their tail or pin their ears or bare their teeth, but they don't they rarely ever actually bite or kick out at another one unless they are really afraid or um, their previous warnings weren't, um, weren't, oh my God, heated? It's <laughs> an ancient word to use. Um, but so it's usually a threat, not actual aggression. Whereas in training, we usually employ actual aggression by approaching the horse and flapping a stick at it or shaking a lead rope so the buckle hits them in the face. And I mean, those are physically harmful things to the horse. Um, it's not just a oop, 
like a, like a little fake out <laughs> like horses actually do to each other. And beyond that, you're not a horse. They will not respect the things you do the same way that they respect the things that other horses do. And you can go try it. If you like, you know, I don't know, bury your teeth at a horse, they're not going to move away. They'll probably just stare at you and be like, what is happening? Um, so, I mean, it's it just doesn't work the same way. And you are allowed to use your big brain to do something else. You don't have to act like a horse. <laughs> Um, and be better at it also. Um, so in the wild, typically there are very few circumstances where you really do see actual aggression because, you know, they typically have more access to, um, the resources and space and they're not all cramped together. But two circumstances under which you usually see more aggression is um, when the band leader, the stallion, when he, um, when there's like a, a bachelor stallion and he tries to take over the, the band stallion's herd, they'll fight. Um, but the research that I read says that um, typically it's not like full on warfare. Um, it's that is a rare escalation, but it does happen. Um, and another one is when, um, a mare is protecting her foal from maybe another horse or a stallion or, um, a predator. You'll see, um, displays of aggression, but those are really the only circumstances. They don't do it to establish dominance or move up in the hierarchy. And, you know, after they don't have a foal anymore, you know, that position or tendency to aggress will change. And so therefore you might say they move down in the hierarchy. So maybe we should just do away with the hierarchy altogether and say that they just act. They just do, you know, I mean, like in your friendships and, um, you know, people, maybe your age that you're not related to because parents obviously are at the head of the hierarchy usually. Um, but you don't really have like, you're the leader. I mean, people have different personality tendencies, but there's nobody that's like dominant over everyone else. And that's pretty much how horse herds work. Um, you know, the ones that have the most influence are the ones that are more motivated or have a lot of buddies or, um, you know, it's, it doesn't really have to do with aggression. There is not really a whole lot of, um, exhibitions of herding, like where you, you think of like the spirit movie where they're like the mom or spirit or whoever is like herding up all the other horses and moving them. It's a very rare circumstance that that happens. But as I was saying earlier with the availability heuristic, maybe I didn't say that earlier, but I was talking about, um, Oh, the confirmation bias. So the studies where they only, or they use those instances where horses are being aggressive to say, hey, look, there is a hierarchy. Um, and so when you say that, well, horses do it to each other and they are aggressive towards each other, you're actually using the availability heuristic, not science. Um, so science says that the horses do not have a hierarchy. They engage one-to-one, -one, they have individual relationships, and they are peaceful. They settle disputes pretty quietly and gently, subtly, and um, very rarely do they ever actually aggress. Um, they might threaten, um, but that's usually about the cap. Um, but the availability heuristic is 
um, a psychological thing, <laughs> phenomenon, uh, happening, occurrence, if you will, concept, perhaps, I don't know, um, where you recall things that, um, or the thing that you are most able, oh my God, the thing that you are most readily able to call to mind is what you think happens more often. And our brains are wildly flawed in this way. We are terrible at estimating, um, you know, how good or bad something is going to be or how often something actually happens, um, especially depending on your brain type if, or attachment style and things like that. It all affects everything. Um, but memory sucks. <laughs> so just stick with that one. Um, but the availability heuristic is, um, you could say like how people tend to be more afraid of airplanes than cars, but statistically airplanes are safer than cars. But because you, um, think about airplane crashes being, um, more, you know, deadly or they're, they stick out more in your brain, you think they happen more than they actually do. And, the availability heuristic is the same way. You're kind of ignoring all of the car crashes, the regular interactions with horses or them just relaxing and hanging out, which is majority of the time. And you're paying attention to the plane crashes uh, when they actually do fight or aggress. So it, it does just because you've seen it happen or because it does happen occasionally doesn't mean it is the rule, but it is the exception. You see? You see? make sense. Um, so I thought that that was a really interesting way for me to apply my little psychology background to that. Um, because I read that and I was like, Oh my God, it's the available hero stick. Um, so yeah, essentially things that stick out more in your brain, you think happen more often than they actually do. Horses spend most, like if you sat and watched a horse all day long, you would see majority hanging out. You would not see aggression and, uh, pinned ears and, um, things of that nature. So moving right along. Um, so the, there are two types of leadership that, um, they discuss in their position statement here. They talk about social leadership, which is predominantly the stallion, um, because his job is to protect. I'm talking about a wild herd, obviously. Um, he protects the herd from threats and predators. And, um, so, that, I mean, it's, it's more of a role, I think, than leadership, but I guess they use leadership because he would, you know, be moving them away or protecting them. And therefore that brings him higher perhaps. Um, so, but that's really the only circumstance that we see that, which is interesting because it's, it happens so infrequently yet social leadership is the one we use to justify traditional training. Do you see, do you see what I'm, what I'm talking about here? Um, so spatial leadership is when and where the group moves. Um, and studies showed, as I discussed earlier, that any horse in the group can, um, initiate movement, (laughs) sorry. And it's usually kind of like a democratic decision. Like they all kind of communicate subtly with each other and they're like, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go. Um, so it's, it's not the same thing that we think about when we think about the lead mare leading the entire herd somewhere new and telling everybody you must come. Um, it's, it's more based on departure than force. And I think that that is the huge difference between, um, 
you know, like when we talk about join up and we think, oh, you need to be the lead mayor and decide when and where you move. You're doing it through force, not through departure, which is what happens in the wild. So it's this it's kind of a um, like a twisted way of spinning that um, because, yes, sometimes, like I said, the lead mayor is the one that um, maybe wants to move because she's pregnant or lactating. And needs more um, sustenance than everybody else. So she's more apt to move about. And um, so she just leaves. Or she signals to everybody else, hey, I think I would like to move on now. And they're like, yeah, that's cool with me. And then they all move. It's not forced. She's not baring her teeth, rounding them up and forcing them to run on. Which is what the equivalent of join up is. We're baring our teeth and swinging our weight about. Making the horse move where we want it to go. Um, so it's it's not even a real application of how the horses um, move. <laughs> and it's it's more in those contrived situations that we see like at feeding time. Um, but that's not a horse's normal environment. So why are we using that for the basis of horse ethology and how they behave? It's not natural. <laughs> like it's, it's okay um, to some degree, but it, no, 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 should not be the basis for training. And then they'd say that it's based on wild horses and it's just not because the wild horse research shows the opposite um so yeah the idea that you must be the alpha human in a subordinate horse um again the horse has no concept of this and if they did have a concept of a hierarchy among their peers would humans even be involved in that would dogs would sheep would cows donkeys like, do they include all animals? And in- I think not. I think it would be horses. And humans are very clearly not horses. Um, so we largely subject ourselves to anthropomorphism, which is, um, or anthropomorphism. I always like to add an extra ism. Anthropomorphism is uh, projecting human characteristics onto animals. It's kind of like personification if you guys know what that is it's like the step up from that so personification if you don't know is like if you were to say that tree is the kindest tree i've ever met you're giving the tree kind or i mean human qualities uh kind and if you were to step up to anthropomorphism you would say the horse is very generous um that is a human characteristic and it is a horse and it is not a human so um essentially what we do in training is project um human ideas of respect and authority onto the horse to justify our behaviors because if the horse is acting up and we use anthropomorphism we say that the horse is being bad disrespectful it is being obstinate disobedient all of those fun words that's not what the horse is doing the horse is not doing it because he's like well haha i hate you human i want you to show me who's boss and then i will respect you and do whatever you ask that is not what the horse is doing um if anything that is a teenager human (laughs) um not an animal and so it's it's just being wildly liberal with um characteristics that are not supported by science and um and it is we do that to justify um the behaviors that follow because i don't know like if you use spanking on children if the child is being disobedient you say he's disrespecting me he's not listening to me and 
I will punish him now, and then it will not happen again. So you spank the child for being bad, and then hope that the child doesn't do it again. And that's what we do in horse training. But often the horse does it again because the beating did not address why the horse was doing the thing that it was doing. Um, you know, because usually horses, again, refuse to do something because they are in pain, they are confused, or, um, oh my God, what's the other one? Hey, Jill, there's a third. It's pain, confusion, and um, fear. Oh my God, there it is. <laughs> so um, you beating the horse does not make them any less painful. Uh, you beating the horse does not make it any less fearful. In fact, you guessed it, it does the opposite. And uh, beating the horse, all the information, it might elucidate a little bit to the horse that you don't want it to do that, but you have not provided it any other alternative. And now it must guess. And horses have a very limited repertoire of behaviors until we teach them. And so you can't expect a horse to just start, you know, I don't know, uh, what is the thing that a horse like picking up a ball and putting it in a hoop that is not a thing that a horse does naturally and you can't punish it and expect it to just pick that up you know they just understand what you're asking you have to teach it and work in small increments and also you have to make sure that the horse understands what you're asking you have to make sure that the horse is not afraid of the object and you have to make sure that the horse is not physically unable to do it like maybe as a broken tooth like it's frustrating I hate horse training sometimes it really it irritates me because it's hard like I'm I hear you it's so hard to think about every single one of these factors and be so considerate and anytime something goes wrong you have 50,000 questions going through your head of like okay what did I do wrong it's a lot of like you have to have introspection, you have to have judgment and intuition and uh, precedent to be able to judge what the appropriate response is. And it is a lot more work than being like, oh, the horse is being bad, I must punish. That's a lot simpler. Um, But life ain't easy, you know? Um, So yeah, in conclusion, that is that side. (laughs) I said in conclusion, like we're done, lol. Um, So I want to sort of wrap up my um, my spiel on dominance theory here before I answer a few questions um, that you guys sent in. Um, so I want to read an excerpt from that Equitation Science website. Um, so I think Paul McGreevy wrote this, or it could have been his little buddy. I forgot what her name is. Okay. Oh, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, no, I lost it. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, um, quote, in horse training, attempts to dominate horses often encourage and justify the application of punishment. Apart from the possible negative effect on the horse's welfare, the wider working relationship may also suffer. The natural response of a horse to an aggressive opponent is to avoid the individual by moving away. If the horse experiences the trainer as an, as aggressive its predominant motivation will be to avoid the trainer therefore it is of paramount importance that trainers riders and handlers do not appear aggressive because this may trigger fear and avoidance responses in the horses me speaking now uh, which is not conducive to training if the horse is afraid and avoiding you how are you going to train it unless you um invoke learned helplessness but Um, We try not to do that. Um, So they have a little summary if you um, are not a reader and don't care to um, delve into the world of uh, 
science. Um, I will summarize for you, and there are little take-home bulleted messages. It's kind of their, like, too long, didn't read. Um, Human interaction with horses should be based on an understanding of horses' natural behavior and consideration slash understanding of their cognitive abilities. Training should be conducted in a calm, clear, and consistent way using learning theory and ethology appropriately. Concepts of dominance, hierarchies, alpha position, and leadership are people's attempts to describe the complex and dynamic social organization of horses living in social groups. Me jumping in here, um, that, what I'm saying, it's, it's easier and it's simple. And if you don't think about it too hard, it makes sense. And if an authority figure tells you that it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, I guess that makes sense. And that's it. That's, that's the end. (laughs) Um, so I'm calling upon you listeners to question it. Continuing here, um, horses interact with each other mainly on a bi- on bilateral levels, not according to rank order that includes all members of the group. When placed in positions that require horses to compete for a resource, one may displace the other. The horse that is displaced will then avoid the other. The predominant kind of submissive behavior a horse shows is avoidance. An incorrect belief that the person handling and training a horse must be in a top position of dominance hierarchy, i.e. an alpha position, or a leader may have a damaging negative effect on the horse, perhaps resulting in avoidance behavior, which is detrimental to training. Describing the training process and horse-human interactions with the context, within the context of a dominance hierarchy jeopardizes the creation of a harmonious relationship with the horse and may compromise its welfare. Um, one of the um, people from the the uh, dominance theory video that where they talked about dogs, she said instead of um, entering a partnership with the dog, the misuse of the dominance concepts makes it an adversarial relationship. So you enter the relationship being like, you're out to get me. And this paranoia just like, it's, it's a lens that you see the animal and their behavior through where you're just braced for some sort of disrespect or, um, opportunity that they're like, if you give them any inch, they're going to, um, take over. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't make anything fun. Like if you've ever been in a situation where you've been told to, um, reprimand a horse and get on to them and, um, you know, they're, they're trying to, you know, be dominant over you and you need to put them in their place and you look into their big, beautiful brown eyes and they're blinking at you and you're like, okay, I'm going to beat you now um, or do something you don't like that causes pain or fear. Um, you know, it's not, a, it's not a fun thing you want to do. And um, I think we all feel that. Um, but, you know, sometimes you that's what that's what you feel your only option is I mean if everybody and trust me I have so much empathy for this perspective I can giggle and shit on my past self and be like I can't believe I ever thought that but I have so much empathy because that is the only way we're taught and when you don't have an out like you just do the only thing you think you can and when people are telling you it's for the horse's own good it'll make your relationship stronger that's what you want. So of course you're going to do it, even if it feels wrong. And that's what sucks the most is we, none of us come into the horse relationship being okay with hitting them with whips and spurs and whatever. And this is not a discussion on, um, equipment because I'm not saying that, you know, all, all equipment like that is bad. I'm not a purist, but, um, I actually do have a controversial tech talk video coming out soon. So keep an eye out for that on my YouTube channel. Um, but I'm saying like, you know, most kids, if you hand them whips and spurs, they're not going to run up to the animal and just start hitting it (laughs) and spurring it. 
Um, and most kids, when you put them on a horse for the first time and you say kick and pull to stop, they're like, I don't want to hurt him though. And you're like, oh, it's fine. The horse doesn't care or it doesn't hurt him. Says who? Says who? Like, even if it doesn't, says who? Did the horse tell, like, how do you know? Are you actually thinking about it? Or are you just saying that because it makes it easier to do the things that you're doing? Like, those are the questions that I really started asking myself. Obviously, I'm not saying that if you ask a horse to go by putting your leg on that you're inherently hurting the horse and abusing them. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, like, those are the things that I start to ask. And if you have to use a certain type of equipment or a level of force um, to execute a certain movement or um, get something done, um, you know, in a training scenario, obviously, I'm not talking about, like, the barn is burning down. But should you be doing that then? Like, if you have to use, um, I don't know, acid on the horse's ankles to make him pick his feet up higher for uh, a show. I don't know. That's what they did at Big Lick um, in the standard bread. I mean, saddlebred. Yes. <laughs> I always get those too confused. Um, in the saddlebred competitions uh, back in the day. I don't know if they still do that. God, I hope not. Um, but doing that sort of thing, um, like, that's obviously horrible. And if that's what you have to do to get the, that movement. Do you really need that movement? Like how important is it that you have to hurt the horse, you know? And I feel kind of the, the same way about certain, um, showing practices. And I mean, that's why I took Zoe out. It's, it's too much stress and anxiety. And unless I can train her, um, just to be totally okay with it and relaxed, Um, because I mean, I'm sure there's some level of excitement and adrenaline, but for the most part, it was stress, pain, and anxiety, um, especially because of her back, um, that it's just like, you don't have to do it then. Like, it's okay if the horse has a little bit of a say in the situation, you know? Um, anyway, a little bit of a tangent from old Gil. Um, so one of the studies um, that they also did called dominance and leadership useful concepts in horse human interactions um, question mark <laughs> uh, it's by Hart Mana I can't read that that's too far away um, Christensen and McGreevy who I just read from they said in their conclusion um, thus the horse's responses to training are more likely a result of reinforcement during which correct responses were clearly and consistently reinforced rather than a result of the humans attaining a high social status and a leadership role i feel like that is a little bit satirical but that is that is the question like the horse is um the horse's responses in training are due to reinforcement during which the responses were correctly reinforced versus uh, the horse responding to training because the horse or the human attained a high enough level of uh, social status and a leadership role. Like that sounds like a joke. And that's how we, that's what we work off of in the horse world. And um, so anyway, they continue on to say knowledge of the horse's natural behavior and learning capacities are more reliable in exploring training outcomes than anthropomorphic explanations and the application of dominance and leadership concepts that can jeopardize welfare and human safety. So that is one of the studies and articles that contributed to their position statement that I read before. Um, but I think that it is really powerful. Um, I'm not going to read the entire study because it's really long, but it is linked below. If you would like to read it It is dominance and leadership, useful concepts in horse human interactions, question mark. Um, but they did a study on seeing which one was more effective and, um, 
there you go. So yeah, I think that that about wraps up um, everything that I wanted to cover before I got into some questions. So um, I think let's let's do that now. I'm going to take a break and drink some water and then I'll continue. Okay, guys. So I just checked my Instagram again before I started <laughs> doing the questions and there are a lot and they're good questions and I want to answer them. The problem is this is already an hour and a half long and it is currently 1030 and I have been up since muting my computer. Sorry about that. I've been up since 5 a.m. So I want to go to bed and I still have to like take a shower and eat and everything. Um, so what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to post this for Tuesday. It'll be like normal. And then on Friday, I'll post a bonus episode where I'm answering you guys' questions from this episode. So I hope that sounds good and you guys aren't too disappointed. And I'm sorry that I kind of like built up to questions this entire time. Maybe if you're listening to this on Friday, then you're like, oh my God, I can just go right into it. Um, okay. So sorry about that. Um, I just, I want to be able to dedicate a lot of time to answering those questions. And, uh, you guys know when I answer your questions, it, um, it's a lot, but, um, I wanted to know what you guys wanted to know about dominance theory. So now that I've kind of given the history, what it is and, uh, why I hate it, (laughs) um, now I can sort of address you guys' questions. And that way it'll also give the people that didn't see my story more time to, um, uh, answer it. So that way I can have more topics to discuss about it. Um, but yeah, so hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to me rant and ramble. I really hope that none of you, uh, are walking away with this offended or think that I look down on everybody who, um, still has used dominance theory up until this point. It's just the way our industry is. You can't blame yourself for not knowing anything different. Um, and maybe, if this is the first time you've ever considered questioning what you've been taught, um, maybe it's time to start looking around and seeing, um, you know, the things that you do, if you actually do agree with them or if you're just playing follow the leader. And I think that it is wildly scary and it is extremely challenging to question our industry and the practices, um, because it requires a hell of a lot more effort, uh, when you have to do it on your own. And, um, learn and research the science because it's not being propagated but the only way that it can start getting propagated and become popular in horse training is if we have these conversations if we look at the science and if we start talking about it and questioning what we're doing and it's not I don't think that it is an insult to anybody's personality I don't think it's a comment on who they are as a person I just think it's a series of indoctrination Um, For the same reason, when I opened this episode and I was talking about like, you know, men tend to be a little bit more closed off with their emotions and women in society. It's more an American society, Western society. Stop, cat. Um, It's just like rushed my hand. Um, It's more okay for women in Western society to be more emotional and vocal about the things that they're feeling. It's the same thing with horse training. You know, it's just the way that we're taught and we're brought up and the things that we feel innately about how we would like to treat animals kind of get washed out after a while. And, um, so bring, start bringing those back. (laughs) Those things are good things and they're there for a reason. Um, your compassion and empathy is valuable. It does not make you a pussy or somebody who just like is overly emotional, tree hugger, ridiculous, blah, 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 blah. All of those things are just indications that, um, the other person doesn't understand, but, um, 
hopefully I will be able to answer you guys' questions on Friday. So um, if you're listening to this on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, it is coming, I promise. And if you're listening to this after Rare, now you got the other one right up there. So uh, I will answer your questions and uh, continue this talk on dominance theory because it is quite long. Uh, But yeah, with that said, uh, be sure to check me out. Uh, me and the horses out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all under Jet Equitheory, and um, I think just Facebook and Instagram under Jet Real Podcast to keep up with episodes and like when I ask questions and stuff. And um, then, oh my God, Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Jet Real Podcast. You can support us, like I talked about earlier. Um, it, just if you're able, don't feel pressured at all. It's not a huge deal. Um, but it does bolster my savings account. Um, that would be nice. So if you're able and if you're willing, go for it. If not, no worries. Just keep on listening. You're doing enough. And, uh, with that said, I think I'm going to leave you guys and I will catch you again on Friday. 